Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we're going to get you started with some Utah Jazz. we got some youths and their college football playoff possibilities to get to. The Jazz are playing tonight. They're in Memphis at 6 o'clock to play the Grizzlies and John Morant. So, we have David Locke on yesterday. And before he comes on, PK is in full PK mode. He's <laughs> singing... Ja, 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 Moran. Ja, 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 Moran. Okay, it's sixth grade stuff, and it's goofy. And, of course, that's naturally what Locke latches on to because deep down we're all a bunch of sixth graders. Here's David Locke with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I started singing ja, 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 Moran. David Locke joins us now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. David, good morning. No. Yes. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. It was. And then I heard that. It's not a good morning at all. <laughs> Come on. You know you want to belt it out. In fact, you can even use it. Ja, 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 Morant. Sing it, Booner. Um, no. You can do a duet. <laughs> yes. You don't have to do it on the air. You do, like, social media stuff before the game. I've seen and that. After? You can do it. You can do it there. And after. You can do it there. <laughs> No, no, no. Ah, see? No, no, no. You're (laughs) easing into it. You're trying it out without trying it out. No, I'm not. It was unpleasant. It was uncomfortable. I haven't had nearly the appropriate amount of caffeine to combat such a thing. It was really awful. Yeah, but that's the beauty of it is it's in in its awfulness. So what's the... No, not at 730 in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> What's the early word talking to your people around the league? You know, a lot of people now, you've been doing play-by-play for uh, several years, and you have had a chance to have pregame, casual conversations, develop relationships with people, and you haven't text you. What do people think of John Morant's snap judgment 11 games Oh, he's in? real. Oh, he's absolutely real. Um, the jumper's probably not great yet, um, but the wiggle is incredible. The, um, the, the ability to change direction with the dribble – uh, the explosiveness. Um, no, he's real. He's really he's um, uh, he's he's fantastic. Like um, every, everything about him, I think. Uh, and then the character sounds great. And the willingness to get better. Um, but I mean, if you watched last night, his ability. You know, Donovan has this. This is kind of what separated Donovan right away. Is that ability to get in the lane. With the dribble, in and out, change direction. I, you know, I refer to it as the wiggle. So a lot of guys are just straight line. Um, these guys are, are different. Uh, last night he made a move. Uh, he ended up getting fouled by Cody Zeller. But, I mean, it was just ridiculous that he was able to get to where he got to. Um, and so he's great. Um, his rim finishing is pretty good. He's at 58%. His shooting is only okay. His, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does against the Jazz. His his paint non-restricted area is like 36% and his long twos are about 31% his threes he's only taken I think about 20 all year um, he's right, he's shooting him well I mean I think he's like 8 or 9 of 20 or something of that nature or maybe it's 8 of 18 or something um, so it's not you know it's not fully refined but oh my gosh for one year um, looks in complete control he's got two game winners already last night's final shot was you know, there's like eight people in the league that could make that shot last night. When you look at Mitchell relative to other players who come in the league at his age, so many of these guys, they're basically kids. You know, you go look at Hayward when he came in. I mean, he looked like a string bean. And then you look at him four or five years later, and it's obvious he had done massive work to his body. Mitchell... Unless I'm forgetting, he looks the same, meaning he had a pretty good body to begin with when he came in the league, and now he's in his third year. How much stronger, because he's still a young kid, how much stronger do you think he can actually get? Oh, it's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Um, I mean, I don't... Hmm. You're right. He is pretty developed. He's super strong. Um, You know, the thing that they say about Donovan all the time is that he actually was supposed to be like six seven or six eight, and he just grew to six one. Um, you know, he's got these huge feet and these long arms, and like everything about him is supposed to be like six 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 seven, and it just didn't happen. Um, so, I don't know what that impact. You know, 
I, I don't know. I really I hadn't thought about it. I don't know how much stronger he gets um, or if he even needs to, frankly. Right. I don't necessarily know that he does because he's come into the league with a man's body, basically. But I'm just wondering, if because he's still only, what, 22, 23? He could, you could make the case that he's still developing physically, which then would stand to reason that that would make him better. Right. I mean, I guess it could make him worse, too, right? Uh, it depends. You know, I, you get, just look at a guy bigger, like Malone. He got way lose better. Some, lose something? Uh, possibly. But, but if he went to see, if, if it was just natural strength that just occurs through maturity, then no. If he went out and decided, I need to be this bodybuilder, what have you, well, then yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, um, and then let me ask you this. So if he got stronger, are there, part, are there moments when you're watching him where you think he needs to get stronger? No, no, that's what I'm saying. No, yeah. he's got, he's a, he has a man's body. Now, this is nothing that he needs. I'm just wondering if it will happen naturally, which would then lead me to believe that he would even be better. And he's really good right now. I know. Um, you know, he's taken, he's taken, you know, we're 11 games into the season um, he's taken a noticeable change to who he is as a player. And what's interesting is he's taking the exact same amount of shots and using the exact same amount of possessions as he did a year ago right now. Um, and yet his field goal percentage is up five percentage points, his three-point percentage, I think, up five percentage points. I don't know how long this one can last, um, but he's just got such a beautiful touch that maybe it can. He's on balance, so so terrifically when he shoots, but his off-the-bounce three has been pretty good this year. I think he missed them all the other night, so I think he went from 44 to 36. I mean, we're still in that kind of range where, you know, something it changes one day or the other. But his, his catch-and-shoot three-point game, I believe, don't totally go on this, but I think is over 50% since January 1st of last year. Which is incredible. That's 1.5 points per shot. Um, his off the bounce game is at about 36 percent, I think. So that's pretty darn good as well. And so if he's suddenly hitting his off the bounce three, you know, in that 35 to 38 range, um, he gets pretty unstoppable. Um, he gets pretty close to Dame. And boy, is Dame Lillard having until last night? Um, is Dame Lillard having one of the great years? Unfortunately, his team's so injury riddled that no one's noticing. But you know. One thing on, on Dame is his, I think, career-high three-point shooting is about, I think, other than one year, is 37%. Um, and so Donovan's you know, significantly ahead of that right now, which just gives you kind of a perspective. Now, Dame's bigger, but not a lot. I mean, Dame, I think, remeasured at 6'2", if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, if Donovan can get that pull-up jumper, that, you know, Dame takes about seven or eight of those a game. That would, that would really change things. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Looking for things that are right about the Jazz and things that are wrong about the Jazz and need some help. I think that PK and I have kind of zeroed in on the bench. How good is the bench going to be? That's the question mark out there. How good do you think the bench is? Who do you think already off the bench you can just count on? And even if fans don't realize it yet, you know they're already going to be a lock. And where are the question marks? Potential issues. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not clear on that group yet. I mean, obviously Joe's not comfortable there. Um, Moutier and Jeff Green were just fantastic the other day. Um, you know, I said this in the very beginning about this season. Uh, we don't have because this group is so much more talented. We don't have a particularly play hard group. If that makes sense. Now it hasn't shown. Quinn's got him playing pretty hard. And our primary two guys. Wait one second, guys. Love you. Um. The um, our two primary guys, Donovan and Rudy, sure play hard, and and I'm not saying guys don't play hard, but like there's there's hustle players in the league. Hustle players are usually because you don't have enough talent. So if you don't hustle, you go home, right? But like you know, Patrick Beverly or even Patrick Kinahan, you know, Jace, Patrick Kinahan, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, guy. You know, if you look through rosters, and frankly, you know, I mean, those guys truly like the reason they play hard is because if they don't play really hard, they go home. Um, so I, you know, that's where this bench is a little different. I also think that there's this bench is a little different because both Moutier and Green 
think of themselves as natural scorers, which they've proven they are in their careers at different times. Moody has, you know, started a lot of games and puts up a lot of shots, and Jeff Green does the same. So they're not natural ball movers. So it's just a very different group than what we've ever had before. It's taking me a while to kind of adjust to it. They they were certainly great. I think we're learning Jeff Green's a street shooter. Um, what didn't he start the year like seven of his like ten of his first nineteen? Then he went two of 13, and now all of a sudden I think he's – sorry, I'm off the top of my head now, but I think he's six of his last 10 or six of his last 11 or something like that. Maybe it's five of his last 10. Um, so clearly he's kind of a streak – seems to be a streaky shooter. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure on the bench unit yet. Um, and I'm not – you know, Royce O'Neal is a guy that would probably go into that play hard category. Um, so we have – you know, the group as a whole has it. The bench per se doesn't seem to have it. Did I see some footwork from Gobert the other night that I haven't seen and maybe can lead to him scoring some more points? Uh, I think so. You know, he's working hard. Uh, Rudy has a tendency when he says something he probably shouldn't say to back it up, um, which is impressive. And so he's, you know, suddenly Rudy's shooting 70%, right under 70% for the season. Um, what is he, about 19 of the last 22 from the field or something crazy? Um, but, yeah, I thought so. And um, he... Fully exposed DeAndre Jordan for a terrible defensive player. DeAndre Jordan is, despite years of people believing otherwise, last night, the other night in the second half. Um, defensively, Rudy was just incredible. I mean, um, that second half defensive performance by the Jazz the other night was was otherworldly. I think the defensive rating was like an eighty-eight. Jazz, Lakers, Magic are the top three defensive teams in the league, not separated by a lot there. Are the Jazz going to sustain this pace? Because we talked how much about they made changes to add offense to the club and shooting, and yet they seem right there among the elite. Is anybody else going to join that group? Well, Miami is playing an interesting style there, forcing a lot of turnovers and playing with a level of aggressiveness with multiple of athletes that leads me to believe they'll be there. Um, I don't love their shot distribution, um, but they're preventing people from making shots and turning people over at a really high rate. So I would assume that they would will be in that group of elite defensive teams. Um, Toronto seems to be playing at a pretty high level defensively. I watched them last night. They're really good. So there's And Philadelphia was supposed to be the best defensive team in the league, and Milwaukee was last year. So I think those are... Unless I'm forgetting someone, I think those are probably the premier seven defensive teams in the league. There is nothing about Utah's effort so far this year that is false. Um, in fact, if you look at, um, I looked at this last night, I don't know if it changed, but if you look, I believe we've only played one game against Philadelphia, maybe two against, one against Philadelphia and one against Oklahoma City. I think Philadelphia last night was so bad that they dropped into this group. So, now, two of our top first ten games have been against bottom teams, so it's not as though we're feasting on the Clevelands and the Charlottes and the Memphises and the Chicagos and, um, and the Orlandos and the New Yorks of the world and to get our defensive numbers. Instead, you know, Phoenix is the third-best offensive team in the league. I think Brooklyn is about the fourth, and Milwaukee's the fifth, and we've, the Lakers are the eighth, and we've played all those teams so far. The Clippers are middle of the pack, and, and we've seen you know them once and then one shadow of them. So, uh, there's nothing about the Jazz defensive numbers and their performance right now that I think is in any way, shape, or form. Um, you can't poke any holes in it, I guess. And then I'm a huge believer in shot distribution, and I'm a bigger believer in defensive shot distribution than offensive shot distribution. And the Jazz defensive shot distribution is the best in the NBA by a considerable mark. So you speak of Joe adjusting to this second-team role and there's some struggles there. How about at the end of the game in the fourth quarter? Because he's he's playing his usual role, the role that he has been playing. Should he be playing better then? Well, he certainly did. He defended Kyrie great. Um, I thought it was notable that he was in the game despite having a bad offensive game. Um, he, you know, I think that that showed you, you know, that his relationship with Quinn and how much Quinn trusts him and that that lineup um, at the end of games is hopefully going to be our, you know, it's kind of our go-to lineup. It's yeah. It's been really fabulous. Our starting lineup has been great too as well. Um, so I, I mean, I think that, I mean, there's two things. So if we actually look back at Joe last year, 
when he and I don't think I have access to these numbers anymore just because of the way um, NBA.com doesn't save things. But Joe and Derek's pick and roll, which we all fell in love with and thought was so fun. Joe's numbers actually weren't very good personally in that circumstance. Um, the offense actually wasn't that great overall. The pick and roll was okay. Um, in other words, when Joe's handling the ball all the time, he can't pass to himself for an open three. So his numbers are not as good under that circumstance. And what's happened so far this year is that he's taking more off-the-bounce threes than he is catch-and-shoot threes. Until the other night when he kind of went over, his catch-and-shoot three game was exactly the same as it's always been. It was just off-the-bounce threes were not as good. Teams might be defending him a little differently. Um, and that's a harder, always been a harder shot for him. So a little bit of this is what we're asking out of him. When he... When he plays with the ball in his hands, he does not um, – we do not play as well – or he does He does not play as well. But when – you know, right now our offense is four points better per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So that probably should be what we keep an eye on with Joe more than anything else is what, you know, what our offense looks like when he's on the floor compared to um, what his personal numbers are because as long as we're asking him to be a ball handler, his personal numbers will not be very good. Well, I think that you know having him on the floor and Bogdanovich at the end of the game, they did that. What we you were talking about, I was asking about the dunk spot for Rudy Gobert, and they did that. And it looked like what the defense chose at the end of the game was match up with all the three point shooters. So Joe never gets a shot to improve his uh, personal numbers, and Bogdanovich didn't get a shot. But it left Rudy to get an offensive rebound because Jordan went to help on Mitchell driving, and there's nobody to block Rudy out, so he gets a he gets an easy putback, and the Jazz are up four, and that pretty much sealed the game. Are we going to see them do that a lot, or if you use something a lot, then it just forces other teams to try to solve that problem and creates the next thing? Does Quinn just kind of sit on that and keep it in his back pocket, or does he really exploit it here early in the year? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, there's some pros and cons to it. An astute comment. I, I don't know if people caught it exactly as you started it, but the idea is that Rudy starts, instead of setting the pick at the top, starts on the baseline. And up front, you go find, you know, they ran Conley off. They ran Conley off of Donovan to put Kyrie as the guy they were going after. You find the weak defender and then let Donovan just go one-on-one. What's, what the, the concept that's so interesting about this um, is really what you're doing is because the league, and you know, I think we've talked about this in past shows or I have on other shows, because the league is playing drop big almost universally right now where every team's big is dropping all the way down and just basically sitting on front of the rim and staying below Rudy, making it very hard for Rudy to get lobs and also forcing our guards into a tremendous amount of you know short mid-range shots that – you actually start Rudy at the behind the basket, make the big start there, opening up the middle of the floor for the driver, and then the big actually has to go to the ball. So instead of retreating back, at which any point they can kind of jab forward to the ball and have an impact, now you're making the big go to the ball, and there's an idea that that could free Rudy. There's some downsides to it. Rudy likes to be involved in the pick and roll. Rudy likes to touch the ball. It keeps him engaged. I'm not sure you can run it all the time, but it's a nice weapon to have in your back pocket. Last thing, uh, Philip just tweeted in, do you think Rudy's so unique that there's a large learning curve in learning how to play with him? Hmm. Sure. Um, and I think there's... I mean, there's a bunch of teams in the league right now that are having kind of a funky season to start, um, which leads me to believe that the league is altering the way it's defending. And then the question is how you adjust, right? So the Jazz, who we thought would be a top-five offensive team, are currently, what, 20th offensively right now? Is that about where we are? Yeah. Um, Okay, Denver is um, 22nd, and the Clippers are 16th. So... There's something, you know, there's some teams that we, Portland is, Portland actually doesn't surprise me. I I thought Portland would not be good this year. Um, Now injuries have made it so that my predictions are right. Um, But it's interesting. There's some, there's something going on in the league that team, that different teams are good that we then are better offensively than we anticipated a little bit. Now it also, 10 games, small sample size, one or two good opponents changes that. But let's see what happens over some time. But there's something going on in that regard. Um, 
And so maybe this Rudy's unique, and maybe then you know some of these other guys are as well. Um, but it does seem as though it's taking a bunch of guys to get going. Thank you, David. See you, guys. There's David Locke with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's just part of the interview. It's about half of it, actually. If you want to hear the whole thing, the whole show, podcasted, 1280thezone.com. You can listen to it hour by hour. You can listen to specific guests. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to Spotify. You can go to iTunes. You can go to Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check it out. Coming up next, Chris Camrani from The Athletic, covering University of Utah football. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right. There's a lot of stress, a lot of tension, a lot of energy in the community over the Utes. Should they be in the college football playoff or not if they run the table and get to 12-1? and Will they run the table and get to 12-1? and How will the committee treat them at that point? And how much will it depend on who has two losses and how many teams have been able to linger at one loss? And what if Baylor's undefeated and we're all wasting our time because it'll be four undefeated teams in the playoffs? So we're discussing all of this. And PK's talking about the blowback he is getting uh, from his column, which you can read at 1280thezone.com, where he basically thinks that the Pac-12, if, the, if given a chance, the committee will just blow off the Pac-12 and give the shaft. It doesn't matter. 12-1, and one, thanks for playing. Run along to the West Coast. We don't really care about you guys. So we were talking about that, and he was talking about the blowback he got from Ute fans on that, and I said, I'll bet you John Canzano gets the same stuff when he says the same kind of thing in Oregon. He's a columnist in Portland, a lot like Gordon. Like PK, he does TV every Sunday night. Like Gordon and PK, he does radio five days a week. He is everywhere. He is opinionated. He's the guy who wrote the stuff that on the Pac-12 office that kind of blew the story wide open about the incompetence and Woody Dixon interfering with calls and all that. It was great stuff. We've had him on the show before. And so I'm referencing Diak. Hey, get him on. He'll take our calls. And then here comes Chris Camrani on with, well, Chris is funny. Here he is on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Unlike John Canzano, I'm very easy to get a hold of. So whenever you guys need me, just have Jake send me a text and I'm there for you. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Well, we do need you here. You know all the debates about they've been raging on about the Utes and can they win out? Can they win the conference? Can they get to the playoff? How much do you hear from Ute fans about that and... What kind of things do you hear from Ute fans about that if you are hearing from them? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag at this point. Weirdly, I think, uh, David, you and I had this discussion with Kurt Cragthorpe the other day about would fans maybe be more enticed by the Rose Bowl versus the college football playoff? And I'm still kind of interested in that dynamic from a fan standpoint. I, I, I honestly wonder what fans rather get to that number four spot and face an LSU in Atlanta or would they rather go to a Rose Bowl and play a Minnesota or a Penn State I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 55-45 either way I think I think the, the longer Utah stays in the in the hunt in the college football playoff rankings at like seven or eight if they're within striking distance I think fans might kind of sway towards you know dreaming about the college football possibilities but uh yeah it's it's tough to say i mean there's just so much football left to be played and to be fair i know the pac-12 south is down utah hasn't even clinched its spot to levi stadium yet even though i know pk bought his flight on allegiant air a couple months ago i think i think we just kind of have to wait and see coaches airlines buddy (laughs) at least it's a knockoff of allegiant <laughs> it's a knockoff of a knockoff. I'll just have you know that for saying fifty-five forty-five, if the wrong people heard that, your timeline is going to fill up. They do not believe there are youth fans who want to go to the Rose Bowl, and uh, I my notifications look like PK's notifications when that came up on Talking Sports. Yeah. So, Chris, why don't you believe that the Utes are going to make the playoff? I just think there's a lot of work that has to be done outside of the walls of the Eccles Football Center. I think Utah can beat the next few teams by 50 points and go to Levi's and and beat an Oregon team and still potentially be left out. I just think there's 
as, as Kyle Whittingham likes to say, uh, control what you can control, and Utah has no control over what some of the best college football programs in the country have uh, to do over the next few weeks. So I, I, I think right now the Rose Bowl is obviously much more of a possibility than the, than the playoff. Obviously the playoff is still in play. Utah is still ranked number seven. But as you guys were saying, you know, the previous segment, there are teams that are vying for that fourth spot that could conceivably jump Utah because of the quote-unquote eye test, because of the strength of schedule, because of all the catchphrases, blah, 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 we hear from the college football playoff committee. So that's kind of where I stand right now. Now that might change in the next couple of weeks, but we just have to wait and see. Looking at these next three games, I just don't see there's any way that the Utes lose. And I know that there's, well, they've lost games in the past. Yeah, but I don't think that they've had this team in the past in November. So in my mind, they're definitely going 3-0. and zero. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think at a full-strength a full strength Utah team should easily win these next three games. But um, that's me as an outsider. Obviously, the the UCLA Bruins will will – give some fits I think just because Dorian Thompson Robinson is a quarterback that Utah really hasn't seen this year but if they can make UCLA one-dimensional they they should be fine uh Khalil Tate in the desert even if he's playing half of the snaps I think he's still a, a possibility to to make some plays down the field with his feet or with his arm but Arizona has the worst defense in the conference and Colorado even though they just beat a bad Stanford team I, I just think at home I don't think you would you would see a senior class of this stature allow themselves to lose on senior day which would bring ourselves to Levi Stadium um, and see what happens I, I, I agree with you PK I think this Utah Oregon potential matchup would be the best Pac-12 championship matchup in a very long time um, and, and and obviously the, the implications go beyond who gets to raise the conference trophies so that that would make for that Friday night being a, a pretty enticing evening in the Bay Area. Chris Camrani joining us here, Utes writer for The Athletic. Now, you know, the Kyle will say among the many lines, you know, it's the whole one game at a time thing. we got to go 1-0 and this week. You know, that's what we control. So most of the fan base, and to be honest, most of the media is taking them three or four games at a time right now. <laughs> What is the thing that we are overlooking? Even if it's not a big thing, what is the thing we are overlooking? From a Utah standpoint? Yeah, from the Utah fan slash media standpoint, as we take them three or four at a time and make a bunch of assumptions about them going 11 yeah. and 1, 12 and 1. Yeah, I guess the easy answer would be that, you know, you have to go out and win these games. And if history is any indication, just because you're the favorite, especially in the Pac-12 conference, it doesn't mean that you're a shoo-in to you know, leave the field as victors. So it's, it's such a broken record. It's such a cliche. I know Kyle would be very proud of me to say it's one game at a time, but it, 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 it's permeated throughout the team, too. I mean, you heard Tyler Huntley the other night after practice. These guys aren't really necessarily buying into themselves at this point. I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's a sign of a team that has you know, things on the horizon that they want to accomplish. And I, I think you look at last year's finish, that goes a very long way for this team, considering they got so close, undermanned, down their two best offensive players, I guess three offensive players since, since Britton Covey tore his ACL the first play of the second half in that championship game. And I think that's just a, a motivating factor. And, the, and they know that while they've they've gone 8-1, and one, they still have stuff to do. And I, I, I think that any any sign of a good team is taking on the personality of its head coach and that's another cliche but i think these guys are as much of a kyle whittingham team as we've seen in his 15 years now at utah so you speak surprises individually in the team to me there's really nothing that surprised me defensively they were billed to be good and they're good and so they fulfilled what they're supposed to do and i think they'll continue to do that i'd be surprised if i if I saw otherwise. Offensively, I think that they're better than uh, what we expected. And as I look at it, as I'm trying to say, what is this? what was a little bit more that I didn't expect? If they're better than I expected, that means some guys had to play better than we thought, right? If you can follow this logic I'm trying to create here. <laughs> so my thought is 
that there's two areas on the offense that are better than I expected. Huntley is playing better than I expected. He's playing at all world level, and the receivers collectively have been a little bit better than I thought they would do. Would you agree, disagree, add, subtract, what? Yeah, I, I think when we look back at this season, I think for me – we'll see and we'll think about what Andy Ludwig was able to do with Tyler Huntley and really help him take that next necessary step in terms of becoming a complete quarterback. And now Tyler was asked to do things under Troy Taylor, um, and that means running the ball as much as 20 times a game. So it shouldn't be a surprise in retrospect that Tyler was banged up in the middle or the end of the last couple of seasons. Andy Ludwig isn't asking Tyler to do that. And, it, and it's really interesting because I remember a couple years ago talking to Tyler's coaches down in Florida, and they, they told me, they said, Tyler's a pocket guy. Like, just because he can get out and run and make plays with his feet, he doesn't necessarily want to. And I think what Andy Ludwig has been able to do, what Troy Taylor wasn't able to do, was to, to say, hey, I know you can make plays with your feet and you can throw the ball on the run, but stay in there. And if you can stay in there, we know you can make the throws. And that's what Tyler's been able to do. That's what he's been asked to do this year, and he's done so at a very impressive clip. Um, In terms of the receivers, I I agree. I think they were, along with the offensive line, probably the two biggest question marks for me coming into fall camp and coming out of fall camp. But the fact that these receivers are playing at such a high level that they're not having the, the drops that they had last year, that they're doing this without Britton Covey, I think speaks to what Guy Holiday and those guys have been able to do. And it speaks to what Andy Ludwig's offense is. It's very democratic. There is no star player. It's whoever's open, Tyler, get them the ball. And that even you know goes beyond into the tight ends and, and running backs coming out of the backfield as well. But that, that Washington game, that last drive, was kind of emblematic of, of what this offense is and what Kyle wanted. You can run the ball. You can keep drives going. And then when you have to, you have a quarterback who can make very difficult throws on the money down, and, and Tyler did that three times in a row. So do you think then that, uh, just following up on what you said there about Andy's talk with Tyler, probably talks multiple, do you think Andy coming in and what he did schematically with the X's and O's was more important? Or listen to you, I think it's more the attitude he built with Tyler and the expectations of him from the get-go and the mentality, that's been a bigger factor no i think i think it's both to be honest with you I, I mean i think what we saw last year once this utah offense got going it was when they realized that hey we have zach moss let's run zach moss and then allow the, the throwing game to kind of complement the running game and that's when that october this offense exploded and they won those games before tyler got hurt at asu I think what what Andy's been able to do is he's just been able to give this offense an identity and built it around its best players. And its best players are Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. And now you have complementary players around them, the receivers and the tight ends and the other running backs that do their job. So, I mean, I guess it's not rocket science. It's, It's giving Tyler an option to always find someone open. And I think... What stands out for me about this offense, even watching it from above, even though I have no nothing close to a coordinator's eye, it seems like every throwing down, there's at least one person open for at least three to six yards. Whereas the last few years, it felt like it was either nine yards or no yards. And I think that's kind of the brilliance of what Andy's been able to do is he's been able to get guys open whether that, that means he's running certain routes into certain areas of coverage to pull defenders away. He's just been able to do a phenomenal job of, of getting these guys on the same page when it counts, if that makes sense. we got to wait because it's not going to be for another few weeks, but I am extremely excited about Oregon and Utah if, and I expect it to come to pass, means nothing, but what the heck, really? What does sports radio mean when you boil it down? Give us an early handicap. Like a Vegas line? No, nah, just what you think about that game. What are your early, what are your initial impressions, yeah. knowing we're still a few weeks away? Sure. I, I guess Oregon's defense is better than it was last year, and they returned quite a bit of guys that, was, that were on that team that came to Salt Lake last year and lost to Utah when Utah had Jason Shelley and Armand Shine in the backfield. 
which I guess can also play into the, the motivational role for Utah, knowing that they beat a pretty good team at home with the other two best offensive players. But I guess you could also argue that it could motivate Oregon, considering they didn't play that well at all. Uh, but they didn't have Panay Sewell at left tackle, who's probably one of the top ten players in college football. The, uh, the, the kid from St. George, can, hopefully he's healthy for that game. He will be there, and that will probably be Bradley and I's biggest test of the year. I, I mean, I think it would be a great game. I want to believe it would be a great game. I hope it's nothing like last year's game. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess I can. You guys know me as a cynic. I, I'm going to go with the the optimistic route, and I'm going to say I hope it's a great game. Chris, as always, we appreciate the time. Thank you for making yourself constantly available to us. I'm just one text message away. There's Chris Camrani from The Athletic covering the University of Utah. When we come back, Joe Ingles, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to bring in Joe Ingles. We spoke with Joe late in yesterday's show. We always want to make sure you early risers get to hear from him. Of course, they're getting ready to play the Memphis Grizzlies tonight. Here's Joe with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, you need to go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I just dropped my daughter at school. Um, I'm heading into practice. So you guys have a nice little run going here, eight and three to open the season. Does that change Quinn at all, or is he just the same relentless, detail-oriented <laughs> guy with four bits of film to show whether you won by five, lost by five, won by ten, lost by ten? Yeah, I think you, you, I think you guys, and I think everyone listening knows the answer to that. Um, no, Quinn. Quinn's the same coach. Um, like you said, win or lose, um, win by 50, lose by 50. He, he's the same, and uh, I think that's what makes him so good at what he does is um, kind of that relentless um, focus, I guess, on on the little things. Like I mean, we've spoken about win. By 20, there's, there's things we can work on. If we win by one, there's things we can work on, and vice versa for, for losing as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's been solid so far. I'd, I would say I think there is still still things we can work on. Um, I think we'll continue to get better. I think one of the good things is, um, especially the last couple of years, these kind of close games, um, the, the back-to-back, stuff like that. Earlier in the year, we were, we were losing the last couple of years, so... We've got to get some, some early wins and um, not be losing those close ones. Even when we're not playing at our, our best is is really good um, kind of level that we're, we're playing at. So you missed all your shots the other night, but obviously your defense against Kyrie Irving was a difference maker. Quint Snyder pointed it out. He said that he went to you before the game and told you about that. How much personal satisfaction can you take knowing that you had a significant factor, played a significant factor in the team winning the game defensively, even though you didn't make a shot? 
Well, I had to try and do something, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's... And that's, the, I guess, the hard part for fans and things like that is they, they see, especially me, I, I think, too, who's, who's always kind of been, out, been, been shooting reasonably well and, and made shots and, and kind of done that the last few years where... Um, especially this year, obviously, the start of the year, I've been shooting terribly. Um, offensively, I just don't have a, a rhythm or it's just a little bit off, whatever whatever you want to say. But uh, obviously still, like I said, and, and we're still winning games, which is great, which is which is at the end of the day is all is all I care about. Right. Um, do I want to play better? Of course I want to play better offensively, but um, I would be a lot more upset and, and disappointed and frustrated if we were losing games too, uh, as well as me playing bad. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Quinn's spoken to me numerous times about it to, to never worry about that end. And um, that was what he spoke to me five, six years ago about when I, when I wanted to get on the court my first couple of years was to play defense. And um, I think for me, it's there's going to be nights that I go over six and there's going to be nights that I make shots. But if I can be steady and really solid on the defensive end and, and take those those challenges of, of Kyrie one night, um, next game depending on who, who it is or, or who's going, uh, who's playing well, um, take those challenges and, and, like I said, obviously help the team in some way to, to win the game. And um, I know that's it's probably like a little bit different because especially the last couple of years, I've, me and Donovan have had so much of the ball in our hands offensively that that's what people got used to, I think, with me is if I'm not having assists or scoring or, or shooting threes, then, I've, then, I've, or, then I'm playing bad all of a sudden. Um, I'm glad I've got a coach like Quinn and an organisation like we do because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to help the team in, in whatever way I can. And, and obviously, Ellen Ida was on the defensive end because the other end, we could have put you out there and it would have been better. I would have made that layup. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those days, huh? <laughs> You know, I think uh, in all seriousness, although this sounds weird, this is where you're um, – it's a good thing to whatever degree you care about what people think, uh, but to whatever degree you do, it's a good thing that you're in a town like this where the Jazz are so important and they're front and center all the time because we can talk about it on the air, and we did, and yet I think some Jazz fans already knew it even before we said it. Kyrie Irving, who is a wildly talented player, who is offensively elite – he was two for eleven in the fourth quarter, and maybe a little fortunate there because guys who are as good as him sometimes you defend them perfectly, and they just make contested sure. shots anyway. They just do. There's not you know they just rise up and stick it. I mean it's just unbelievable. But he's two for eleven in the fourth quarter, and you're not the only guy who covered him, so other guys deserve credit too. But I think people do walk away thinking, "Hey, Kyrie was two for eleven. That was awfully good." Yeah, uh, I think we've got. Very intelligent fans too. I think they understand the game. I think they understand the, the style that we play. They understand Quinn and what what we're trying to do, and um, that's obviously a, a good thing because you don't want you know, when your fans um, frustrated or, or upset at your team. But uh, I think with our fans, they they know how we're trying to play, what we want to do. Um, the, the fans that have been with us kind of since, especially since Quinn's. Quinn's kind of era. They they know how Quinn wants to coach and how to play. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a tough one because I guess you you obviously care about the fans and what they think. But the, the flip side of that, you don't want to be sitting there reading every every comment or, or um, remark that's made about you because for, for some guys it, it could um, I guess make you overthink what you're doing. And that like I opened my Twitter the next morning and had a million people saying that I suck because I didn't make a shot but, well that's great but we won the game and um, like you said I got to, to, to play a part in, in trying to slow down Kyrie and obviously Royce was a big part of that Rudy's a huge part of that but between me and Royce um, just kind of tag teaming and going back and forth and you just try and make it as difficult as you can on a guy like that for, for 48 minutes and I think between the two of us and then Rudy contesting at the rim we, we were able to do that and um, who knows if that really had an impact or not? Like you said, some guys are so good that they can kind of make or miss, and it's it might be more on them than than on us. But um, yeah, we feel like we did a, a pretty good job on him. 
So, obviously, we all went nuts on that inbounds pass and Bogdanovich hitting the three. The thing that I thought was unusual is you raise your hands. You don't move as if you made the shot and he runs to you. It's supposed to be the other way around where you run to him and hug him. But you stood up. Obviously, you knew it was going in. And he ran to you. Didn't you find that unusual? That was sort of backwards. Um. I guess it was backwards. I didn't really think about it. <laughs> so I, as soon as I inbounded, um, I think we all, obviously with our team, we knew the couple options we were looking for. And um, the first one was Donovan on on the lob, like a, the lob on the back door, and that wasn't there. And the next one was Boyan, and that either cutting either way up to the top or to the corner. And I think as soon as I threw it in and, and saw that he had a bit of space. I think we all knew within our team, and, and probably a lot of the fans do, that if he got a, a good look and, and got the shot off, I think we all thought it was going to go in. And, um, yeah, I just felt very confident about it once I threw it in, and um, was obviously extremely happy that we won the game, and obviously happy for him for making the shot. But um, yeah, I'm definitely not taking any credit for the pass or the shot or putting my hands in the air. I think it was just a, a I don't know, it was just a reaction and. I think as soon as it went in, we kind of made him had eye contact and he kind of started running and I was like, well, I may as well save my legs. He's a bit younger than me. So he, can, uh, he can run to me. I love the way you say we all knew I was going in. This goes back to the point that the Jazz are front and center here and every little thing gets scrutinized for better or for worse. But there are Jazz fans at Channel 2 who wanted to watch that shot over and over and they were looking at it and so I cue it up for them and they're looking at it over and over and they notice look Joe's arms are up more than a full second before everybody behind the bucket but I attributed that to the fact that you've watched him shoot a gazillion shots already and you know what a good shot looks like from him and it was like as soon as the ball started to descend you knew and the arms were up yeah honestly and and obviously a lot of fans and and certain guys of, of the media obviously might see a little bit of it but we, we work on obviously those late game situations all the time and we do it five on five against defense and um, so we obviously know what we're looking for and like you said we I think everyone in the arena once um, he'd caught it and he got a good look and he actually got the shot off the hardest thing in those situations is actually getting a good shot off a shot that you've shot before and that you feel good about kind of shooting and um, yeah, like I said, as, as soon as it left his hands and, and Middleton didn't deflect it or touch it or, or affect his shot at all, um, yeah, I just I knew it was going to have a good chance to go in. So um, glad we got the win. I'm loving Bogdanovich's play. You know, we watch him cursory, particularly he's not even in the Western Conference. We focus a lot of our time on the Western Conference, not that so much the Eastern Conference. So, we, you know, we see box scores. We see him play occasionally. The thing that surprised me about him is his ability to take the ball in the, on the floor and be so strong. And I love that the, the emotion that he plays with. We're just barely getting to know him. How would you describe him as the type of person that he is? Probably that exactly kind of how he plays. He's he's kind of pretty quiet, um, but when like I guess when when like he plays with that emotion when he's got something to say or um, it's a perfect example is that 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 late that late game shot that he hit the game when it was. I mean, he's probably said like thirty words all, all season. Um, he's a pretty quiet guy, but in that time out. Yeah, drew up the play and Mike was actually meant to come through to the corner and he was the one that said no no like tell Mike to stay out of the way so we can go either way in, in case uh, Middleton top blocks me and doesn't let me go to the top and coincidentally Middleton top blocked him and he could only go to that corner so if the, the play was drawn up exactly how originally we were going to uh, Mike would have come through to the corner and Mike and, and, and Bogey would have been the two options but he kind of told him that and um, that's just how he is. He, he understands the game, obviously, at a very, very high level, and he plays. Um, I think a lot of the Croatians do that, and the, the, those Yugoslavian Serbians, um, they play on edge a little bit. They play that um, fiery kind of style of, of basketball, and that's what um, we love about him. He, he gets a dunk or, or hits a three and um, gets extremely fired up about it, fires a group up. Um, but he's a great guy. He's, he's quieter than. Me, which is very hard, but he 
Um, yeah, like I said, he's a, a very intelligent, high IQ player that um, is, is obviously helping us a hell of a lot this year. So how many of these foreign guys do you know before they show up, whether they're on an opposing team or on your team, how tight is the network of guys, either from international play or because you played with some of the same people overseas before you got to the NBA? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know them um, more and probably better. Um, and I think you have kind of an automatic rea- uh, relationship, uh, and so to say, because you, you've, you've either seen them somewhere you've either played with them maybe um, like me and Rich you know, I've played against um, Boyan hundreds of times with Croatia and Australia and stuff like that so um, yeah there's an automatic kind of relationship that, that you understand kind of where where they've come from what what they've done before being here and um, obviously we're, we're glad that we're all here and we're able to help the league grow and be I don't know how many different countries and players, and obviously for Australia, having kind of 10, 11 guys here that are that are all contributing on their teams and playing at um, kind of higher levels in, in the NBA is, is pretty cool for our, our country, and, and obviously they feel the same about their guys from their countries. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to, to play against guys that you've seen or played against before, and um, likewise, with I feel like we every game we played Donovan says he knows someone or he played with him at AAU or he played high school or he played with him somewhere so um, it's the same for, for those guys too all the Americans that have grown up here and, and played against each other um, whatever age group they are growing up Why do the guys celebrate like it's New Year's Eve every time you dunk? Because <laughs> it, it happens once a year like New Year's <laughs> Eve I mean you're 6'8 <laughs> what's the big deal? I don't, I don't get it, man. It always to, goes I said nuts. To them after, I said to them the other day, it's it's so easy to dunk that obviously it's, it's like, why waste the energy? Like me running to Boyan when he hits the shot. Like, when I see him running to me, why am I going to run towards him? We're going to bang heads and both be in the concussion protocol. There you go. <laughs> like, why would I dunk every time that I can lay it up and miss the layup? <laughs> You got ma- if I dunk more, I won't miss lineups. You got Magic Johnson on your side in that. He dunked early in his career, and then he decided it was two points to lay it in and why he spent all that energy. He was going to play a lot of minutes, a lot of games. They were making deep playoff runs every year. So you got one of the all-time greats on your side in that discussion. Use that. Yeah, I will. That, that, that's why. Joe, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we will uh, talk to you again next week. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. There's Joe with PK and I. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.